Welcome to the This Is Not A Watermelon podcast. Today we're rerunning a conversation that we initially recorded in March of 2021 with Palestinian filmmaker, director, and producer Maya Mosri. This conversation is still very relevant today. If you find it useful, please share it or let us know your thoughts in the comments section. And make sure to subscribe to the This Is Not A Watermelon podcast for more interesting content on Palestine. Welcome, everybody. My name is Mikey Mhenna. I'm calling from Beirut. I'm the executive director of Afikra. Thank you so much for joining today. I am very honored to introduce our special guest, May Masri, who is a Palestinian filmmaker who was born in Jordan, raised in Beirut, and studied film at UC Berkeley and San Francisco State University. She has directed and produced award-winning films that have been broadcast on more than 100 television stations worldwide, including PBS, BBC, Channel 4, France 2, and many more. In 1995, she founded Nood Productions with her late husband, filmmaker Jean Chiron. Her films have received over 90 international awards, including the Lucino Visconti Award in Italy in 2003, the Asia-Pacific Screen Award in Australia in 2007, and a Doc Trailblazer Award in Cannes in 2011. Mei thank you so much for joining Africa Conversations. Thank you, Mikey. This is a great introduction. I'm and so happy that you're here. Doing. Thank you. Same here. Um, you know, I like starting most of these conversations a little um, biographically. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you were born in Jordan, raised in Beirut. Um, so I'm curious, what were the films that really struck you as a, as a child? Do you, remember, do you remember watching TV and films as a kid in, in Beirut? Um, what memories do you have of that? Well, we didn't really have much TV. That's what that was or, doing. Or I guess cinema. Maybe it was only one channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But maybe the yeah. cinema. Uh, there was a cine club, uh, and then at university, uh, the, I mean, one of the major films that really marked me were uh, was Yusuf Shaheen's uh, films on Arab and Al Those, I mean, I've seen, of course, a lot of the regular commercial films, but I remember that those two films were really marked me. Um, but, uh, cinema wasn't really something, you know, when I, growing up, I it wasn't, um, a major, I used to go to the cinema maybe once, uh, every once, or once a week or two weeks, but it wasn't something, it was later that I discovered film and it was a gradual process. Yeah. Was it, um, so you went to, you went to California. Did you go to study film or did you find yourself? I read somewhere online that um, you, you took this film theory class and it kind of inspired you. Um, exactly. What did you, what did you encounter in that class? Well, I mean, it was by, uh, was by chance really, but I think I was prepared for that without knowing because growing up, I was very visual. And I loved, uh, I loved, uh, you know, I, I think I, I was used to think more in images than in words and, uh, storytelling and, um, and then there were growing up too, there was a lot of like the, the student movement and the political kind of and cultural atmosphere of Beirut. I think all that prepared me. And then the war broke out in 1975 in Lebanon. So the schools were closed most of the times and I left Beirut in uh, 76 to go visit my brother in Berkeley. So it wasn't really, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was 17 years old. And I just uh, happened to walk into a film class in Berkeley and it was amazing for me. It was like love at first sight, you know? Did you have a camera? I didn't, I had a, um, a, a still camera, but not. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, like as a kid, were you, were you one of those kids who was, interested in like fascinated by the idea of a camera and lens and capturing stuff and were you one of those kids uh, not really no no but it was more the the storytelling and the artistic uh, kind of uh, and wanting to say something you know i grew yeah. up at a time when there were a lot of movements uh, a lot of uh, you know beirut was such a vibrant city so it was more about what to do with my life i wanted to find something that would make an impact so finding film, everything seemed to fall in place. And uh, that summer, I remember I was like watching tons, hundreds of films, reading film books. It was like, uh, you know, um, 
I was lucky, really, I think, at 17 to find something so passionate. And, uh, and that's when I became interested in the camera and, yeah. uh, and the moving image, all that, you know, it really came together in 76. So um, before we get into some of your films, just to stick on this idea, I'm curious about some of the early films that um, while you were in California and studying, that really left an imprint that you kind of see, maybe nobody else can see it, but you see the, the traces of the DNA of those films in, in your work. Yes. I mean, I watched the, I mean, the films that really touched me, I think, were the films, um, the Italian uh, neorealism films, Fellini, Daviani um, Brothers, that poetic, poetic kind of lyrical cinema. Yeah. Uh, the neorealism, too, of Rossellini, and then Latin American cinema. Yeah. Because uh, it was a time of revolution, you know, the 70s. And San Francisco, I discovered, you know, was like a hub as well after Beirut, you know, of all that um, third world cinema and um, the surrealist movement too with with Spanish films being well, that beautiful surreal films. Um, The Cinema Novo, Brazil, uh, Cuba, Chile, you know, all those films were like amazing for me to watch. And I think they influenced uh, my work later because this was the cinema I like, you know, magical realism, uh, working with people, uh, uh, having something, a strong human message to say. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like that Shaheen uh, Bebel Hadid um, film as well. Exactly. Yeah. I love his early work, Bebel Hadid, Al-Ard Those films really had an impact on me. Yeah, it's interesting because um, you, you know, aside from your last film, you deal in realism, not not surrealism, right? Um, but there are there are there are traces of that. That makes sense to me. You know, this idea of social messaging and um, you're only trying to understand the human condition and, and capture that. Yeah, but also with a lot of humanity, you know, and a lot of poetry. I think you can find that. Uh, that's that is like a challenge for me as a filmmaker: how to find the poetic in the everyday life, you know, and bring that out. Uh, I, that's I really love that kind of, uh, you know, it's, you never really, in films, you don't really document in exactly what you see. It's more of an interpretation of the, and bringing out that beauty to, despite all the, you know, harsh realities we're living through. Yeah. So um, after California, you came back um, to... And I'm not quite sure on this, so you have to correct me. Was it to, with the intention of making films with your later uh, husband, your soon-to-be husband, Jean Chimarol, or was it go back to Beirut, see what happens? W- what was the point? No, you know, I couldn't wait to finish, even though San Francisco was amazing. But I was like really on fire. I wanted to go and make films. I couldn't wait. Um... And I came to Beirut with the idea that to make films, you know, I, I really had so much to say because I seen, a, you know, lived through a lot, even though I was still young, but uh, growing up in Lebanon, really, uh, I mean, I really had a lot to say. And I met Jean and uh, we clicked immediately, even though we're from different backgrounds. There's a, I think we completed each other and uh, we started to work together immediately. Uh, this was uh, end of 81, 82. And our, uh, I mean, our, our first film together was during the siege of Beirut, the Israeli invasion. And this image, I think, it's, um, it kind of uh, symbolizes that time, you know, of filming uh, under the rubble, under the bombing, yeah. because most, men, most of our films, and even the films I made later, have been made in the time, times of war, or invasions or uh, uprisings. So um, we were a team together. I mean, uh, we completed each other. We we were kind of uh, unique in the sense that we made films together, especially in the first, uh, the first few films that we made were co-directed by both of us. Um, And that was, uh, that's unique in a way, and it's not always easy. You really have to have the right, kind of dynamic and we were able to create that 
And with every film, we tried something new. We were like experimenting, discovering, uh, working with real and in, in reality. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. These photos are so touching. Um, so I'd like to sort of for a second, zoom out on, on your body of work and, and queue up for the, the, the people on the call. You have so much, you've, you've, uh, produced so much stuff that, um, uh, you and I spoke about this beforehand. I'd love to be able to zoom in on this, uh, sort of the children tr trilogy at the early part of your career. Um, if there are questions for other films in the, in the chat, that's great. And then we'll talk about 3000 nights. Um, but there is enough time, there's enough work here to talk to you for hours and hours and hours. So let's talk about those three to start. Um, did you conceive those three films as a trilogy to begin with, or they just were subsequent? You finished one and you thought, oh, we, we got to do something else. Yeah. You know, it was a process because before the trilogy, there was a whole experience uh, that led to that. Um, uh, I mean, life experience, uh, so many subjects, people, everything that, um, I, I mean, I, there was a whole period of making films in Beirut with John, but, um, during the first Intifada in Palestine in 1887, I decided to go back for the first time to my hometown, Nablus, at the height of the uprising. And that was when I made Children of Fire, which is the first of the trilogy, but it wasn't uh, conceived as a trilogy. It was like, you know, I, um, I had to go back. And um, to me, it was like a turning point in my life. And I would say maybe the first um, after 82, and that really experience of living in Beirut during the siege, that really affected me, I think, as a person, a filmmaker and really prepared me for all of the challenges later on. This was the second major um, turning point for me, going to Palestine uh, almost seven, seven, five years after the siege of Beirut. Yeah. And uh, Naples was under siege and curfew, and it was like a hub of the resistance and the uprising in Palestine at the time. And so this image here is, uh, was taken on the first, uh, upon our arrival into the town. But this was, I mean, we were, I was forbidden from going in with the team. We had to go in through back roads. It was like, a, uh, the whole film was filmed in secret because uh, the Neapolis uh, was under occupation. And there was the up. The whole town was um, in, in uprising against this occupation, and they had just killed two young people. One of them happened to be our neighbor in the same building where I um, came. So I, for me, this film was like discovering Palestine and discovering my own city, finally, uh, like getting to know my own relatives, but in very like uh, challenging and difficult situations, which was, you know, and making a film. But this film, um, became a process, you know, about how to make a film under occupation, you know, under siege. All my, the ideas I had even before I had to adapt. So because most of it was filmed in secret, like we were hiding, you know, the, the image before you saw me and the, the sound men, we were like hi, uh, hiding and filming from the window because the soldiers were like bashing in the doors and uh, arresting people. Can I ask a, a logistical question? What, yep. where did you, where did you edit the film? I mean, where, how did you process the, the, the film itself? How did you, I mean, it's one thing to, to shoot in secret, but then what do you do with all the undeveloped film? I used to smuggle them out with my cousins <laughs> from the down there. We used to shoot on cinema film reels. And where would you edit it? Uh, I would uh, I, I would send them outside of the country. I edited in London actually okay. afterwards, but where I, I couldn't see what I was shooting because it's yeah. film. You have to develop it afterwards. Um, 
So uh, it, the film's about two young children. One of them is five years old, Fadi, and an 11-year-old girl, Hana, who uh, are in neighbors in the same building. So the whole story is, uh, takes place in the, in the neighborhood. And I discovered that, uh, uh, you know, that I didn't have to tell the whole story, you know, by focusing on uh, these stories within the, within where I was living, the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I could tell a much bigger story, by, but by focusing on the details and especially through the lives of the children. And that, that opened my um, kind of interest in working with children after this film. And gave me a really strong connection because um, as a Palestinian, I hadn't really grown up in Palestine. So I was like kind of building the sense of belonging through the camera, through my uh, experience there, through the people. Uh, and this stayed with me and really rooted me. I think it grounded me and prepared me again for the next stages. So after Children of Fire, I went on to make the next film, which is... Um, Children of Shatila. Uh, before we move on to Shatila, I want to ask a question about that last that last point you just said about focusing on the small to tell a broader, a lot a larger story. That's um, that's a, a, a brilliant technique. Were you aware of that? Were you aware you were doing that, or did you think, well, this is what I have the the limitations. I'm stuck here. I can only tell maybe this small angle, or were you? Did you understand, oh, I'm going to use this as a, a broader sort of allegory? You know, I think uh, I was discovering the power of that kind of uh, storytelling as, yeah. as I went along because I hadn't planned it like that. The plans I had uh, evaporated because I was like under siege in this apartment with, these, uh, with the crew, a small crew, and we couldn't, we really couldn't film what I had planned, but I discovered that that's much more powerful to film the actual process, you know, and it became like a daily journal and uh, the sounds and what you couldn't really see the whole, you know, and I, this, this really is powerful, I think, uh, because it's, um, it's very raw and very real. And um, in the end, I, it's about telling stories of, of, of characters and people and, uh, you know, the details, I think, that, that taught me to, to, that, uh, and gave me also, I think, an interest in making films that are like uh, self-contained. Yeah. Uh, and no, not trying to, to say too much, because you can say a lot more when you go deeper, and especially with working with children. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's a, a really, really um, astute um, Astute observation and, and really a powerful sort of mechanism for storytelling. Um, it's also a powerful mechanism to empower your subjects with their own uh, their own platform to tell their own stories. For those who haven't seen the film, explain what we're looking at here and why you're handing this uh, this child of Liduk. Uh, yes, this is children of Shatila. Yeah. which I made a few years later, actually, in 1998, or 80, yeah. <laughs> which is the 50th anniversary of the, of the Nakhna, of 48. And I had the idea of giving, you know, video cameras were brand new at the time, the small handy cameras, and I had the idea of giving cameras to the children. And this was before it became, like, fashionable to do that. It was like an early, one of the earlier films and I, what I wanted to do, really, I had to, I wanted to see through the children's eyes. I, I, I wanted them to film their own reality, to see what they would do with the camera, what, how they would tell the, their own stories. And uh, in Children of Satila, there are two main characters. One, of, one is Zaisa and the other is uh, Farah, both 11 and 12-year-old uh, children uh, in Shatila. And... Um, it's fascinating because uh, with the camera, they were like, uh, was like a toy for them. It was like a, an ama amazing for them to see their own reality, like a frame in the camera. They were so excited. And uh, in this picture here, one of the children is interviewing uh, an, an older man 
in the neighborhoods and asking him, asking him about his memories about Palestine. And uh, this man was like so touching when he was saying how he left Palestine. And we were asking all these questions. And uh, in the end, he tells them, promise me, you know, this, that you'll never forget Palestine. I mean, and I, you know, that's so powerful. And the whole film is about the, this connection with, um, of this third generation, these children or fourth generation who were born outside of Palestine, their connection to Palestine through the memories and the, you know, the, that are passed on from generation to generation. Yeah, it's all with a lot of imagination, with a lot of uh, playfulness, because again, with children, you never know what to expect. And this is what I love. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, I thought it was, uh, you know, this idea, particularly, obviously, pre-cell phone and pre-story uh, time, uh, Instagram stories and social media, but this idea, um, um, not only the, the viewers um, see through the children's eyes, but the filmmakers see through the children's eyes is, is really, really, really powerful. Um, I'm curious, what was the response of the children to the film? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not children anymore. They're older no, than me. No, they're not children. And yeah, uh, yeah. I've maintained a very strong connection with all of the children, even children of Nablus, uh, you know, and the children of Shatila and the films that I made afterwards. I think the film was like a major, for them, a major also experience because it, for some of the, the children, it, uh, it really had an impact yeah. on their lives. Uh, what they, their choices later in life, um, watching the film too with them, like it's, it's, I, I, for me, this is the most, the moment where you show the film to the people that you made the film about is really the most kind uh, of critical and uh, touching moment because, um, they love, I mean, seeing their lives on the big screen, you know, and, uh, I, I think it made an impact on them that's long lasting because, uh, especially now, I mean, now that they've grown up, they have their children, they continued their education. A lot of the, uh, you know, Farah now, for instance, has become uh, a PhD uh, in engineering. Uh, I think the film uh, had an impact because I, I wanted also through the film to be able to, to, um, affect their lives to do, to bring something back, you know, to them tangible that would make an impact on their lives. Amazing. Okay. Let's move on to the, the third of the trilogy. Um, and then we should have enough time to talk about 2000 nights and then we'll be able to, um, we'll be able to talk, open up to the chat. So, um, the third in the trilogy was, uh, frontiers of dreams and fears. Um, for me, the, the imagery from, from this film is absolutely kind of stunning. Um, walk us through a little bit how the idea for this came. Yes, by now I realized that this was becoming a trilogy uh, with Frontiers of James and Fears yeah. and Muntzman uh, and Arabic. And I made it with some of the same children that I had uh, filmed in Children of Shatila. Uh, few years, this is like two years after Children of Shatila. Uh, by then, internet was a new phenomena also, just like the cameras before video. And uh, I, for suddenly Palestinians in, in refugee camps in Lebanon and elsewhere were able to communicate, you know, with their relatives in Palestine. And these children, and, and this picture, Mona in Shatila, uh, they were starting to communicate with another group of children, Mona and Manar, from the Heshi camp in Palestine through the internet, sending messages to each other. And I felt this was really powerful, the idea of communication and uh, following the stories of, uh, again, uh, children, but through this new medium, which is the internet. You know, that so it started with uh, speaking to, I think Mona was... Uh, the, the, the now, now a woman in, uh, 
from Shatila? Was it Mona or Munar in Bashi? Mona is from Shatila. So you saw, you started seeing Mona go online and she told you about this relationship she was forming with uh, Mona. Yes. And also a friend of mine, this friendship. A friend of mine was also volunteering there. And uh, I realized, and she was like um, encouraging them to contact each other as a way of improving, like uh, of making connections and practicing even their yeah. English and Arabic. And, and then I felt that I was fascinated by the idea of that connection yeah. bridge because I'd made films in many films in Lebanon and made films in Palestine, but never anything uh, connecting, uh, you know, and I, and, and to me, that was the beginning point. But then the, the, the friendship developed and the, there was letter writing and I was going back and forth and taking letters back and forth. And then, um, and you know, the, the, the children that, you know, they're very, especially Mona, she's like the way she speaks and that image you showed before with the bird, I think, you know, the bird is always something, a metaphor that comes back in, in, in all my films. She, she talks about, when she talks about her life, uh, she talks in images of poetry. You know, she's like a, uh, the words she uses is so poetic. And in, in the beginning, in, in, in the beginning of the film, she talks about how she used to dream of, um, uh, being a butterfly, but then she changed her mind when she discovered that, she, you know, butterflies are captured and put inside a book that she'd prefer to be a bird so she could fly to Palestine. You know, the words like that gave me kind of uh, guided me as I was making this film. And, um, I was able to uh, bring them together at a very key moment too. later in, um, few months after they had met. Yeah, when uh, Lebanon, South Lebanon was liberated in 2000. And for the first time, uh, Palestinians were able to meet each other across the border on the barbed wire. And I had the idea of bringing, bringing the children to the border. And those moments, I think, were very, I mean, first of all, unique because, um, you know, those moments are like, history happening in front of the camera and here you know about it was about capturing that moment that emotion that uh, uh you know images that you would never see probably uh, and here for instance in this image uh, the it's a brother and sister who are meeting for the first time in 52 years since 1948 and they're already old. They were separated as children, and here they are meeting. It's so touching, you know, and with the barbed wire between them, it like carries so much um, uh, hope, uh, you know, a history of all those years of suffering, but, uh, you know, finally meeting together, hope, a moment of, um, you know, possible, like, you know, land that was liberated, you know, this gave so much hope, I think, for, for, for people. And me as, uh, like, being there, I, wow, it was like, I felt I was living in history as it was happening. So the children were there. I was able to bring them from both sides, and that was, I think, a miracle big, to be able to bring them, you know, because it was quite difficult to bring the children, especially on the Palestinian side, because there's so many checkpoints, there's so many logistics, but we were, you know, able to bring them to the border and uh, live those moments together. And I think that that's really is what makes it, gives the film its uh, power, you know, that climactic moment. As you're making stuff, uh, films like this in moments that are so powerful, um, I would imagine it's, it's, it's near impossible to, to not be emotional, not be affected. Um, but at the same time, you're, I would imagine you're also trying to balance, uh, telling the story in a way that should let the viewer, um, you know, be a conduit and allow the, the viewer to see the images like, and not feel your fingerprints almost. Yeah. Well, Do you I think about that? I didn't need to have any fingerprints here because it was so, the moment was so powerful 
was yeah. magical. And here, you know, this happens a lot. I think in film, when you can capture, it's about capturing those magical moments and yeah. as they are. But um, I mean, in the editing, it's, you know, you can, how you put them together. But uh, yeah. this, I didn't, re I didn't, it was very emotional. I'll tell you, I was very like uh, myself and the crew. I had a small crew, a camera and sound. We were all crying in tears of happiness with everyone, you know, because we, we felt the power of the moment, that hope that, uh, you know, mixed with uh, so many feelings. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's emotion there. And I think it, the audience feels that too, because uh, this is Manar and they're holding hands, you know, on either side. And just a few days after we were filming, we were forbidden, became, uh, I mean, the Israeli soldiers realized <laughs> this was like, there were thousands of people coming to the border, you know, there was a hope, but it was like overwhelming. And they decided to, to, to uh, forbid any further contact and turn the whole area into a closed military zone. So it was impossible to film after those first few days. So really, this kind of filmmaking is about seizing those moments, you know, and, um, and putting them, I mean, making films because they're, they're not really, you know, history is not, um, it's a way of writing, I think, history. is kind yeah. of filmmaking, safeguarding those moments, those memories. Otherwise, they just get forgotten especially in a region like ours, where there's so many events, one event after the other erases the other. And I think these moments, you really need to treasure them because they're, they're so powerful. They're so meaningful. And uh, so inspiring this was, too, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, all of your, all of your films are at once uh, heartbreaking and uplifting. Um, so. It's a hard, it's a hard song to play. Um, let's, let's talk about 3000 nights, uh, briefly. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions in the chat about it. Um, so I won't spend too much time and I'm looking at the clock. Um, but the first thing I noticed when I went to go see this, uh, six years ago in New York, um, was that it's a feature. Um, how long had you been wanting to do a feature? Um, uh, or was it a, all of a sudden this idea came to mind and, and you, and you thought this is better, th that format outfits the storytelling better than a document. Yeah, it's a process for me. And the idea for 3000 nights actually came many years before when I was in Nablus shooting during the first, uh, Intifada. Um, and I had met a woman, a Palestinian woman who had been in prison and had had the child inside an Israeli prison in chains. And this story uh, stayed with me. It was haunting me for years. And um, I, although I, I made many films in the meantime, and some of them also in my documentaries, the idea of incarceration comes back. You know, I yeah. made films in Lebanon, Ansar, and Tian prison, you know, during the Israeli occupation. So this idea of incarceration was in my mind. So it's a process. And by then I thought that I, I, this had to be told as a fiction, you know, as a narrative, but it's entirely based on a true story. All the events in it are based on real events. And this is the kind of films I like. Um, but I, by, I felt I wanted to have more control uh, uh, of the storytelling and also of, uh, of the aesthetic you know, and be able to, to, um, work on different layers, uh, and, uh, recreate the drama because this is a very dramatic uh, film of a child growing up inside in a prison, you know, and a mother and recreating that childhood for, you know, uh, that world for a child who's never seen the outside and uh, within the context of, um, Palestinian prisoners, women prisoners, and it's, Probably the first film, I think, the first narrative film about women, Palestinian women prisoners. Yeah, it's it's absolutely stunning, stunning film. I highly recommend everybody check it out. Um, this this photo, this photo, um, 
it really moved yeah. me. Before we move into the Q&A, tell us what's happening in this photo. Yeah, this was a great uh, moment because this is when I showed uh, 3,000 Nights in Shatila camp. Uh, everybody's sitting there, you know, excited to watch the film. And he, and this is with Kifa Hafifi, who's a former prisoner herself and liberated prisoner. And we had made a film about her called Woman Beyond Borders. And she was in prison, the Fiam prison. And Fiam, uh, as you know, probably, you know, during the liberation of uh, South Lebanon, the, the people of the South, they broke, they broke open the prison and they liberated the prisoners. So there's a very special connection with Kifah. And uh, we both presented the film and it was shown in Shatila. And there were like people on the balconies in their homes outside, you know, watching and like, um, like reacting with the film because this is like their story, you know. And uh, I mean, these are the moments I really treasure. The film has been showed, shown worldwide, but to me, they, these kind of screenings are, are screenings uh, that mean a lot to me. It's about bringing the films back to the people. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. I'm looking at the watch. I'm going to try to go through this. So for the quick Q&A, there are four questions. I'm going to try to get you to go through them quite quickly. So what are you reading or watching right now? Well, I'm watching a lot of films because I'm on the... I recently became a member of the Oscars Academy. So I have, we're voting for the Oscar films next week. Wow. <laughs> congratulations. Great films. And there's some Arab films still even in the final, uh, finalists. Yeah. So, uh, reading a lot. I have a whole stack of, uh, of books next to my bed. Uh, I'm reading, uh, Nasrallah. I read in Arabic and English, yeah, his trilogy. Uh, it's called, um, uh, the trilogy of bells and also Susan Abu Hawa. Against the Loveless World, that's her most recent novel. There are many other books too. I love Saad Amiri also. Who doesn't? I know you interviewed her. She's a great friend. I love her books. So I have all stack. Uh, I'm going, you know, some books I reread. I love to reread them because I'm always, uh, it's like a dialogue. Me too. Between the films and the books and, you know. Um, okay. Who would you love to shadow for a day past or present? Well, present, uh, there's another filmmaker I really love. Her name's Mira Nayyid. She's an Indian filmmaker. I love her work. Uh, it's amazing the way when she speaks, I feel it's me, you know, because her work really, uh, is very similar to what I've been doing, but in a different context in India, but, um, and in the States, but working with children again and, uh, I would love to spend more time with her. Cool. Um, what do people most misunderstand about your work? Well, I'm, uh, I, I suppose uh, the fact that uh, my films have a very like strong message. Sometimes some people might say, why don't you know uh, that they're political and, you know, why not make more films about you know, like comedy or you know, romance, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there's always that kind of, uh, I think, discussion. Um, okay. Um, whose work do you admire or are inspired by? I can imagine that the list is quite long, but if there's anyone that you think yeah, again, I mean, since we mentioned the Mira Nair, I, uh, I think she's uh, inspiring to me. And actually, we did a, a masterclass together when I was in New York and screened uh, 3,000 Nights. She had just uh, finished her new film, uh, Queen of Catway, so with an amazing kind of dialogue. Um, but lots of people inspire me. But, I, you know, to, to focus again, I would say Mira Nair. Okay, great. Okay, our first question comes from Ayla. Ayla, I know you asked him a bunch of questions. If you could just choose one, that would be great. All right. Sorry about that. No, that's great. Excited. Love it. All right. Um, I, first, I wanted to know, like, when did you realize you favored documentary over fiction and why was that? What kind of uh, switched your, your button? 
Well, uh, I don't favor one over the other, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, but when I was starting, you know, I just finished, uh, graduated from San Francisco, went back to Beirut. I mean, it was like war. Um, and it wasn't, you know, there were so many real stories and real events, uh, powerful. And, you know, it was natural to, to, uh, think documentary because, uh, you know, it's like there, you know, you can't really, that, those days weren't the t- time to sit back and, you know, kind of, uh, write fiction because it was like happening and, uh, true. Those years, and I think documentary is such a powerful learning experience. It's about life. For me, it uh, shaped who I am uh, because I was able to live more intensely because of my films, to live moments that otherwise I would never have lived, to meet people I would never have met. But now I'm processing everything I've lived through, and I've lived through a lot because, you know, and made films. But I want to revisit some of those major like turning points and revisit them in fiction i think now is what you know like time to dig deeper and reflect in a different way a different medium thank you thank you our next one is nariman nariman yes hi everybody hi hello (laughs) i miss you very much my I have two questions for you. Are you thinking of establishing an academy for how to direct films? And the other question is, uh, are you thinking of uh, going back to Navros to make a new movie? Shukran. <laughs> Merry man. Wow. Nariman was with me in those days, by the way, and the empty <laughs> She was hiding the films and <laughs> taking care of me. <laughs> I would love to uh, uh, be part of establishing something. Yes, Academy. I think there's several. It's like uh, we don't have to establish something new because there's several schools already uh, teaching wow. film in Palestine. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's one, Ramallah. Uh, Nablus is a good. Uh, in the University of Najah already. I think it's a matter we should strengthen these schools and not necessarily start for something new. I would love to go back to Nablus to make a film because like I said, it's not enough. Um, I feel I want to go dig deeper and there's a lot more that I didn't say that I want to say now. How did you feel like Nariman? Thanks so much. Our next question comes from Lena. Yeah. Hi, uh, May. It's so hi. good to see you. And uh, thank you, Mikey, for organizing this uh, uh, webinar. Uh, my, because I'm a huge fan, my question is, what's next? What are you currently working on? When, when will we see your next film? Yes, I'm working, uh, I'm working away by the, <laughs> I'm finishing it. I made a documentary in uh, Beirut during the uprising, focusing on four young women artists. So I'm finishing that and I'm writing a new script. Uh, I'm working on several ideas, but uh, they're all fiction. They're all fiction and they're to do with Palestine. Uh, one of them, uh, one of them would be shot in Nablus. I'm interested in going back a bit in history and um, uh, looking at, you know, our, like, the Nakba 48, uh, the Intifada, but through the eyes uh, here, I'm interested in the experience of a poet uh, from Nablus, Fadwa Tukon, the iconic uh, Palestinian uh, poet. And I'm fascinated by the idea of... Um, the old city and her, her, her life, you know, behind the walls, because she was, uh, she spent her childhood behind walls. You know, I'm always interested in this idea of incarceration. So that's one idea, but I have several others that I'm developing. So definitely my next project will be uh, fiction. Great. The next question comes from Shlem. 
um, but she asked me to read it for her. Um, the question is, does shooting in secret and making films that might be forbidden inform how you distribute and promote them afterward? Well, surprisingly enough, Children of Fire was made for the BBC. <laughs> and it was shown on TV, of course. But uh, the producer, that the, you know, they had no, no clue that I was filming in secret. You know, they didn't, didn't fathom the idea, you know. Uh, that was the, the conditions of filming were very difficult, but it shaped the film in the end, and it was screened to a big audience. Um, but each film has a different kind of uh, distribution. It's not very easy, you know, to distribute Palestinian films. So it's a big scoop when you're able to show it uh, to a wide audience. Uh, now with uh, online and uh, the VOD, it's become easier in a way to reach uh, uh, many people. And things are changing, I think, uh, even in Hollywood. I'm very kind of happy to see that there are more films that are being uh, made, uh, that are being screened or also with 3000 Nights, it was released in several Great. countries. So that, that's good, but it's, it's, it's not easy at all. Yeah, for sure. Um, great. Uh, Karen, you're up next. Hi, May. It's Karen. Um, I'm curious how one can get hold of the films in local libraries in the state. I'm always interested in promoting these films to have them accessible to the general public you know, people that might not think about looking for them, but if they're on the shelf in the library in D DVD format or something. Yes, definitely. Would... If you go to the website of 3000 Nights, uh, you, there's, um, you can uh, find the distributor. You can find also how to get the uh, 3000 Nights and some of the other films. Uh, just send a message uh, on the website and... Uh, you can find out. They're also, uh, some of them are on uh, Amazon Prime, like 3000 Nights. But for libraries, it's better to go to the website of okay. 3000 Nights. Thank you. Great. Okay. Um, the next question comes from Harvey. Um, Emma. Emma, let me. Um, so, well, hi, May. I wanted to ask you, did you visit Palestine after 1993? And if yes, how did you feel about the difference that occurred in Palestine after your previous visit? Like when I read uh, the, uh, Murid Barouti's book, it really struck me the paradox he felt when he came back to Palestine after more than 30 years. So how could you relate to these type of feelings? Yeah, actually, I was, uh, I always go back uh when I made 3,000 Nights, that was like a few years ago. So uh, I do see changes. I mean, uh, I'm nostalgic actually for the time of the person to found out because that was the time when there was a, like a popular uprising resistance uh, vision kind of for liberation, the future. Uh, it's become more and more, uh, I can see the changes on the ground. It's, you know, the settlements, uh, the, uh, it's like a, the, uh, the land is being eaten up uh, they, every single day. And uh, the political situation too is reached like, a, you know, there are not many options. It's, it's rather, but... You know, on that, that's on one level, the political level, but I think culturally what's going on is very inspiring because there's so many uh, expressions, uh, you know, it's so vibrant. All the suffering is like being flourishing in the, you know, in the arts, it's a way of uh, expressing all this reality, you know, and then changing that and kind of giving hope. But, in the cinema or in the painting, there's, there's really, I think, a lot going on in literature. Um, so that's where I see hope and uh, that's where I see my role of making a difference on that cultural level. Great. Uh, we have a question from Rodrigo. Yes. Hi, my, um, 
it's really nice to see you again. I've been following you for many, many years. Um, I, I something you said right now triggered the question, so I'm going to ask that question instead of the question I had posed on the Q and A. Um, you said you were saying about art and artists' responsibility to reflect our reality. Uh, there is something that I think about very often in that because our reality is often very uh, negative, very sad. And most of our art and our films and our songs and our any expression that that we project to the outside is often naked. So <laughs> uh, people have to prepare themselves usually before they watch an Arabic movie because they know it's going to be painful and hard and um, heavy. Uh, do you think it's part of the artist's responsibility to change that concept of of Arabs being the, the kings and queens of Nakad and and maybe um, starting to create content that that gives us hope and and enlightens lightens our mood uh, as a, as a speaking people as a people projecting our image to the outside world. Yeah, but you know, uh, none of the films that I can think about the Palestinian films, none of them focus on Nakad. You know. Uh, they they all have this uh, hope. Uh, at least I can say that the work I've I mean I to me it's always important to keep hope. But you have to you know hope coming out of all this uh, suffering. But there's hope uh, and to inspire people. So I don't I agree we shouldn't. I mean we don't you know I don't think that our films are um, about sadness or nakad like you say. Uh, they they're quite inspiring. They're like changing. I think the uh, they're like inspiring people to 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 think and some to take action. You know to to do. I think they they're, they're quite powerful in that sense. And I think you uh, it's not one thing. You can do a lot in a in a film that uh, deals with the reality. You can. Uh, focus on the humor or you can focus on the, you know, the love stories within that, you know, then it's, um, it's about, I think we, about uh, the way we approach our stories and always to focus on the humanity. I think that's the key. If you can focus on the humanity and bring those human stories, you can touch people and that's what we want. That's a, I think a perfect place to end. Um, for those of you who are on the call, if you're interested in learning more about May's work, um, I highly recommend checking out the book that just that came out relatively recently, Love and Resistance in the film on May Muster. Uh, I have it on the screen. Um, also, you can look up her films online on Amazon and Shumba, uh, many more places soon. Um, thank you so much, May, for joining. Um, this was really a thrill for me. Thank you, Mikey.